Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of His Word. Let's begin. For the next six weeks, we're going to take a journey to the cross and look at the last six days of the life of Jesus, what is called Holy Week. So your outline says, Journey to the Cross, the timeline of events surrounding Holy Week. This is part one. So I know it's not Palm Sunday, but this is going to be Palm Sunday. The King who comes in peace. And please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. And I'll start reading at verse 28. My sources include Rich Hansen's The Week on Which the World Turns. His book, Frank Harrington's message, A Day of Applause. Harry Reader from Embers to a Flame. And Philip Graham Ryken's commentary on Luke from the Reformed Expository Commentary. Please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Luke 19, 28, this is the word of God. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as had been told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees and the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord God, for this, your word. Thank you for what you want to say to us through this word. So give us open hearts today, and I thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. The the late great Prime Minister of Great Britain, Winston Churchill, was once asked, Doesn't it thrill you to know that every time you speak, the hall is packed to overflowing? Sir Winston said, It is quite flattering. But whenever I feel that way, I always remember that if instead of making a political speech, I was being hanged, the crowd would be twice as big. Churchill understood something about human nature. He understood that people are fickled. From a sociological perspective, you simply 
can't figure out the masses. One day they're cheering you on. And then the next, well, let's just say how quickly things change. Jesus is beginning the last week of his life on earth as we begin this time of Lent. A lot of people don't understand Lent, but we're going to look at those last six days of Jesus's life over the next six weeks. Lent is to be a time of reflection, a time that draws you to the gospel, draws you to the hope that you only have in Jesus Christ and leads you to repentance. And I pray that will be the case with all of us today. So I know it's not Palm Sunday, but as you survey the final week of Jesus's life and his ministry, starting with Sunday, Jesus was the guest of honor at a parade. So let's look at three lessons today and let's jump right into this. As our king, Jesus has the right to our possessions. And if you're looking in your text with me in Luke 19 again, um, let's look at verses 29. Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you'll find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it. Bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Now, does that sound strange to you? Sounds a little strange to me. I mean, it's almost like the disciples are guilty of rustling livestock. (laughs) Luke calls the animal a colt, but Matthew, and actually, you know, this story is found in other other gospel writers. Matthew specifically calls it the colt of a donkey tied up with its mother. In Matthew 21, verse 2. So when the owners saw the disciples untying the donkey, sure enough, they wanted to know what's going on. I mean, wouldn't you if you're the owner? So they asked the obvious question, what what are you doing with the colt? Their answer is, the disciples said exactly what Jesus told them to say, the Lord needs it. (laughs) Almost sounds like a password. The Lord needs it. Okay, all right. I mean, that's what they needed to hear. That's all they needed to hear. And then they released the cult to these strangers that they didn't know. You know, and as I've studied this many times before, what hit me in the last few years is how powerful this passage is and how powerful this verse is. And for every one of you out there today who have lost a loved one, and I know there are many of you, and I know that at different times you're thinking about that loved one And your heart is breaking every time you think about that person. So is there someone you have lost in your life that you feel like you need? I hope this verse gives you the comfort it gives to me when it says the Lord needs it. You know, there are people that seemingly have left us prematurely. And we wonder why in the world are they gone? I need them here. We need them here. Their family needs them here. I want you to remember this passage. The Lord needs them. We don't understand the ways of the Lord. But we trust Him. And that is really hard. Have you ever heard of Shane Claiborne? Shane Claiborne is a unique individual. I had never heard of him until my cousin Gaines told me about him. My cousin is a circuit judge in Alabama. And he told him about he told me about him when we were hunting together just a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago. His uh, this man, Shane Claiborne, is a Christian activist and a leading figure in the new monasticism movement. 
It's one of the founding members of the simple way. That's what it's called. In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, my cousin has heard him speak. He advocates for nonviolence and for service to the poor. And in his activism, he's been arrested a number of times. In fact, his mother said, you know, until you became a Christian, you'd never been arrested. Now you've been arrested a bunch of times. So what's going on with this? Um, But on one occasion, my cousin says that he was standing, Shane was standing before a judge. And he only wore a T-shirt with his jeans, a T-shirt that read, Jesus was homeless. And the judge looked down at him and said, son, what does that T-shirt say? Jesus was homeless. And the judge says, can you get me one of those T-shirts? I don't think we think about that, do we? But Jesus was homeless. Did you know that? He really was. Luke 9. Turn to Luke 9. Luke 9:57 Luke 9:57 As they were walking along the road a man said to him I will follow you wherever you go And Jesus replied Foxes have dens birds have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head If someone comes to you and says I'm taking your car. The Lord needs it. <laughs> what are you going to say to them? You've seen those movies where the, the cops are chasing somebody and all of a sudden the cop loses his car for some reason. So he jumps out and he says to somebody, I'm a policeman. G- give me your car. And they're, they're okay. I, I don't know if I'd say okay. I don't, I don't know about you, but I'd probably go, oh, wait a minute. This is my car. When are you going to bring it? And then he's gone, you know. I'm going to ask all kinds of questions, but I just love the fact that these, these guys, they didn't ask all kinds of questions. They just trusted the Lord needed it. You know, every day you and I are called upon to remember that our possessions are not really our possessions. If we're followers of Christ, if we really love Jesus, we're stewards, we're managers of everything that we have. have you, do you think about that? I mean, we really should think about that. Those possessions that we own are really owned by God. And because of that, we are stewards, we are managers of what's been entrusted to us. And the scriptures teach that one day we'll have to give an account of our management. You know, when the rubber meets the road, we're not all that prepared to follow through with living the Christian life, are we? After all, it's one thing to say that the Lord our God is the possessor of all things. It's quite another thing to say, I actually live that way. So I know that it's a a mirror that I'm speaking into right now as I challenge you about your possessions. But I want us to think about this in this passage. When you think about this story in our text, the amazing part to the story is that Jesus was asked for anything at all. He was asking for something specific, but he never did ask for anything. Did you notice that about Jesus? Jesus was always giving to other people. Jesus was never getting anything for himself. Yet just this once, as he makes his final preparations to enter the holy city of Jerusalem, in that final week, that holy week of his earthly life, he orchestrates the events of Palm Sunday. And Jesus says he needs the donkey's colt. And did you notice this colt has never been ridden before? What a testimony to God's sovereignty over not just the events surrounding the story, but over the the colt 
to prepare this cult when the disciples put Jesus on that cult so the cult wouldn't get upset. I mean, think about it. I, I love those kind of circumstances about this story. But the most important point for our purposes here is the attitude of the owners of the cult should also be our attitude toward everything in life that we like to call our own. Our money, our time, our possessions. If the Lord needs them, they should be His for the asking. To use as He pleases. The question is whether we are willing to let the King stake His claim to what we own, which is actually His to begin with. Which reminds me, (laughs) you know what? You can hardly watch local television or any of the major networks right now because of all the debates and all the things about the political. I mean, can you imagine? We've got, this is March 1st. We've got a lot more months of this, okay, till November. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's going to get old. And I, I, as I'm listening to the Democratic debate a little bit, you know, online, uh, it reminded me of what John F. Kennedy said when he was inaugurated. He was a Democratic president. And he said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Probably a good idea to mention that, wouldn't it? You know, just to remind people, instead of what, what's in it for me, what, what can we do? And it's the same way in our Christian life. If we're honest as followers of Jesus Christ, because of what God will do for us, is kind of on our minds. God, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And He does want us to bring our needs before Him. But I want you to know the main reason that we follow Jesus is not because of what He can do for us, but because of who He is and what He's already done for us. Because of the gospel. That's why we follow Jesus. Because we have no hope without the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as our King, He has the right to our possessions. He has the right to everything we have. Second lesson. As our King, Jesus has the right to our worship. In verse 37, it says, When He came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives... The whole crowd began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And then it skips to verse 39 and says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so one thing stands out in this, ta- in this text and passage is the people praise the Lord without inhibition. They praise the Lord without inhibition. And it seems to me today that that we've kind of bought into the rebuke of the disciples. It seems to me that today we're way too silent about Jesus Christ. Why is that? I mean, why don't we praise the Lord without inhibition? Well, a couple of reasons. One, because the pressure to be politically correct. Speaking of politics, we, we tend to be politically correct about a lot of things. We're overly conscious of what our society Wants us to say, wants us to do, we're to say the right thing, we're to do the right thing, which oftentimes leads us in worship to say nothing and do nothing. I mean, how much do you hold back in conversation about Christ so that you won't say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing? There's another reason why we don't, and that's because of the pressure to be socially accepted. No one wants to be labeled anything, for that matter, whether it's a Bible thumper. Or a religious fanatic, which I've been labeled before. So what are we to do? We listen to the thinking of those who say to us, why don't you just keep what you believe to yourself? 
And what will that accomplish? That's easy. If we keep what we believe to ourselves, no one will ever know what we're about. So we have to talk about our faith. You know, I grew up in the 60s. I was seven years old when John F. Kennedy was inaugurated. So I was a child of the 60s. And, you know, I'm thinking about this whole thing of, of the 60s. And in the 60s, religion was taught to be a private thing. My parents said that to me a number of times. My religion is a private thing. Where, where did that come from? I mean, really, I'd love to know where that came from. We are not supposed to talk to people about our faith because religion is a private thing. I mean, if, if that's the case, it really keeps us from dealing with answering anyone about what we believe. And I believe that today Christians need to be ready to answer people of the hope that we have in Christ. Because there are a lot of hopeless people out there. And if we don't share with them the love of Christ and the hope that we have in Christ, then, then people are going to be lost for all eternity without Jesus Christ. So Jesus had something to say about that rebuke of his disciples. Do you remember that? He had, a, he had something to say. He said, I tell you what, if the, if the disciples keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. And what I want to know is, would they? Would they have kept, would they have just exploded the stones? Well, I wouldn't bet against it. If you'll turn to Isaiah 44 in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 44. Verse 23. Sing for joy, you heavens. For the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests, and all your trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. So, as our king, Jesus has the right to our possessions. Secondly, Jesus has the right to our worship. And then the third lesson of the day is, Jesus has the right as our king to bring the kingdom in his way. You see, there's a lot of people that had expectations about Jesus that were all wrong. And so look in verse 41. I mean, this is a parade. This is a celebration. And all of a sudden, it seems to, to change in verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Donna and I, a couple of years ago, got to, to be at that spot where Jesus comes down from the Mount of Olives. Into the city of Jerusalem and walk that that pace of what he where he marched and where he walked and where the people threw down their cloaks and and waved their their palm branches and said to him, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. But Jesus on that Palm Sunday, he wept. He wept over the city and said, if if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. And I want you to consider the incredible contrast here between the joyful reception of Jesus by the crowds and then his tears. And from all we can tell, Jesus didn't see the parade in his honor as a good thing. Would you agree? He didn't see it as a good thing, but as a, a disaster and as leading to a disaster for Jerusalem. So Jesus explains his tears as we read on in, in Luke 19. 
And if we continue to read, it says, if you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment. So he starts talking about this, this war that's going to happen to Jerusalem. And they did not get it. Well, they didn't get a lot of things. If you look in John chapter 1, please turn to, to the Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. John 1, 10 through 12. This is John, the apostle who followed Jesus, his closest friend, most likely, and says this in verse 10 of John 1. He, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And really that verse, verse 11, basically means he came to his own people, he came to his own creation, but his own people did not receive him. He made us all, and yet he came to his special chosen people, the Jews, and they did not receive him. Yet, it says in verse 12, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so... This peace that Jesus talked about. You didn't recognize, he said, the peace that could be yours. How is this peace supposed to be accomplished? Well, you know, there were the hawks. The hawks said that peace is obtained by might. And you have to have sufficient arms to serve as a threat for any who's going to attack us. Then you have the doves on the other side that think that the absence of armament is the answer. In Israel, the belief was Messiah would bring peace to the nation when it appeared. And he would do so by might. He would do so by the sword. The majority of people thought this peace that Jesus talked about was going to be by a sword, by force. So they supposed that when Messiah came, he would utilize military might, as in the Old Testament, and he would throw off the shackles of Rome. Yet when Jesus is weeping, he wept because they didn't know what was going to happen down the road For this rebellious, wrong-thinking nation. Instead of Messiah coming, bringing about the demise of Rome, the rejection of Jesus as Messiah meant the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans. So, look at those last couple of verses. Verses 43 and 44. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and your children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So do you see why Jesus wept? It would not be by Messiah's use of force and power. It wouldn't be, listen to this, it wouldn't be by the death of Messiah's enemies that the kingdom would be brought in and brought about. No, it would be by Messiah's death. It would be by Messiah's death at the hands of his enemies. Jesus wanted them to know it was not triumph that was going to bring in the kingdom, but tragedy. From a purely human perspective, through the cross. And those things that Jesus talked about in verses 43 and 44, they happened. Jesus was crucified somewhere around 30 AD, 70 AD, 40 years later, Jerusalem was going to be completely destroyed by the Romans. This made no sense to the people, and so a lot of them missed it. And that's why he said, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Which reminds me of the scripture in the Old Testament. My ways 
are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So many times we cannot understand the mind of God in the ways that he works. Sadness comes in our lives. Sorrow comes into our lives that seems just unthinkable. And God seems far away. But he is not far from us. He is very near. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But he is still good. He is still gracious. He is still merciful. And he wants to be your peace. And so these next six weeks as we journey to the cross, we have to let go of the ideas that wherever God is, there will be miracles, wonders, prosperity. When, as we've learned today, the way of the Lord was one of need, the need of a donkey, of rejection by the leaders of Israel, of suffering and pain for us on a cross. If we are to be followers of our Lord Jesus, shouldn't we expect to have to also take up a cross? As Jesus said to us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I mean, that was his experience. Are we to think it should never be our experience? And it brings us to our verse of the week, which is 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. We'll read verses 21, 24, and 25 out loud. It's our verse of the week. It's several verses. But let's read it together from your outline. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peace comes to the one who embraces Jesus Christ, who worships him joyfully, but misery, misery comes to those who... As Jesus reminds us, did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your presence as we come to you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. And Lord God, there are many times where we don't understand the ways that you are working in our lives. We don't understand your will. And we can question Your ways, Lord, and the way you work. And Lord, I know that there are times when you weep alongside of us in our misunderstanding of what's going on with us. But Father, thank you that you are a father to us. And your word says, Lord Jesus, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Thank you for being a presence to us who follow you, who trust you, who love you. Thank you for being our treasure. And I pray that today you will give grace to those that are struggling in grief, that need an extra measure of your grace to trust you. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to remember there are times when you need something more than we do. And we don't understand that. So thank you, Lord, that you have not forgotten us, that you are with us. And so be a comfort to us today, Lord, and a strength. And also be a peace to us, Lord, that we might entrust our lives, our possessions, our worship, our trust into you. 
and believe you, Lord, when everybody else says don't trust him. May we have the grace to always trust you, Lord, and believe you. Thank you for loving us, for always being by our side. And we praise you for our salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.